One of the worst recurring nightmares in my life is being in the pulpit with nothing to say. <laughs> and I was afraid that was going to happen today. Uh, for those of you who may come, have come in after a call to worship, I announced that Janie Walker, our co-pastoral director, is not feeling well today, and it was her turn to preach. And uh, I found this out about 8.30 this morning, and I had a full day of meetings, and of course, I said, we'll take care of it, Janie. And I also remembered that on Sunday morning, Janie preached what was really a tribute to Billy Graham. We had a group in the house over the weekend, one of our Ruah schools, and uh, she used this passage and she preached that sermon. And I said, Janie, would you mind sharing that with me? And I'll rework it a little bit. And she said, sure, I'll do that. And she sent it to me. And so I have a few words to share with you. Words in tribute to Billy Graham, who always had a very simple message that God so loved the world and loves the world and loves you and loves me. As you all know, I'm sure it was just three weeks ago that he passed away at his mountain home in North Carolina. In a recent commemorative edition of Christianity Today, a magazine that he founded, these are some of the words that were penned about his life. Billy Graham was perhaps the most significant religious figure of the 20th century, and the organizations and the movement he helped spawn continue to shape the 21st. Graham was a model of integrity, Despite scandals and missteps that toppled other leaders and ministers, including Graham's friend Richard Nixon and a succession of televangelists, in six decades of ministry, no one ever leveled a serious accusation of misconduct against him. That's not to say he wasn't seriously criticized. Some liberals and intellectuals called his message simplistic. Some fundamentalists considered him compromise for cooperating with mainline groups in the National Council of Churches. His 1949 evangelistic tent meetings in Los Angeles brought him to, to national attention, and his 1957 New York meetings, which filled the Madison Square Garden for four months, established him as a major presence on the American religious scene. Graham's moderate anti-segregationist stance during the civil rights era drew fire from both sides. White segregationists were furious when he invited the agitator, quote, Martin Luther King Jr., to pray at the 1957 New York City crusade. And civil rights activists accused him of cowardice for not joining them on protest marches and getting arrested for the cause. In 1982, when he visited the Soviet Union agreeing to preach the gospel at the invitation of the government, he touched off a firestorm of criticism. Graham was quoted as saying he had not personally seen any evidence of religious persecution. Some called him a traitor. But he insisted he would go anywhere to preach as long as there were no restrictions on his freedom to proclaim the gospel. He returned claiming he saw the hand of God working in the Soviet Union. He was fiercely attacked for being naive and a tool of the Soviet propaganda machine. By 1990, however, after the fall of the Soviet Union, 
His prescience was vindicated when then-President George H.W. Bush said to the national religious broadcasters, eight years ago, one of the Lord's great ambassadors, Reverend Billy Graham, went to Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, and upon returning spoke of a movement there toward more religious freedom. And perhaps he saw it before many of us, because it takes a man of God to sense the early movement of the hand of God. William Franklin Graham may never be remembered for his many accomplishments. He may never be canonized as a saint, but it does not mean that his contribution to the history of Christianity and spirituality can ever be diminished. The title of his autobiography says it all, Just As I Am, from the hymn sung most often when he invited people to come forward and receive God's love. That hymn title is a reflection of his humble spirit. Evangelist Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, said in an interview prior to his father's death, Still today, my father, Billy Graham, has a Bible verse pinned up on the wall in his bedroom, printed in very large letters. In fact, it's in the dining room, his bathroom, and several other spots around the house. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was his passion to memorize it to saturate his heart and mind with it. He made it his life's verse. When I was a boy, my family and I used to uh, vacation at Montreat in North Carolina. I'm a Presbyterian, raised in the Presbyterian Church. And Montreat, if you don't know, is one of the national retreat sites named for being a mountain retreat, Montreat. And Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, grew up Presbyterian, and her family had property on that mountainside. And we were told, I remember, early on on our first visit that Billy Graham lives up there. And I never saw his house, but I always assumed that Billy Graham lived in this big castle on top of the mountain. It seemed like the right place for Billy Graham to be. But I imagine now that he would have not felt very good about that analogy, that he lived high on the mountain, because he was, by most accounts, if not all accounts, a very humble and modest man. Once, when being interviewed, Graham was asked, what do you think of the crowds who come to hear you? And his response was, that's all God's doing. I just want them to hear about and respond to Jesus. Billy Graham was good at lifting up Jesus, not himself or anyone else. And when he did, many came to accept God's love for them. One of his most popular sermons was entitled, God Loves You. And in that sermon, he points out again and again that God's love is rare. Because there is no human love comparable to divine love. In God's love, we find forgiveness. In God's love, we find fellowship and friendship. It doesn't matter how far you try to run from God, Graham says. God loves you. God's eye is on you. God sees you. God has the hairs of your head numbered. Every moment of your life is watched by God. And over and over again, Graham reminds us 
God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And God loves you so much that God sent His Son that you might have eternal life. According to Christianity Today, during his life, Graham preached in person to more than 100 million people and to millions more via television, satellite, and film. Nearly three million responded to his invitation to accept Jesus into your heart, an invitation that was always given at the end of his sermons. He proclaimed the gospel to more persons than any other preacher in history. In the process, Graham became, quote, America's pastor, participating in presidential inaugurations and speaking during national crises, such as the memorial services following the Oklahoma City bombing and the 9-11 attacks. According to Columbia University historian Randall Balmer, he became the friend and confidant, confidant of popes and presidents, queens and dictators, and yet, even in his, in his 80s, he possesses the boyish charm and demeanor to communicate with the masses. Not only did Graham encourage others to accept the light of Christ in their lives, that they may be empowered to walk in the spirit of Christ, but according to many historical and biographical accounts, he himself chose light over darkness. One Scottish minister made this observation about him. My first impression of the man at close quarters was not of his good looks, but of his goodness, not of his extraordinary range of commitments, but of his own committedness to his Lord and Master. To be with him even for a short time is to get a sense of a single-minded man. It shames one and shakes me as no amount of ability and cleverness can do. How have you maintained such a close walk with God through all you've been through, a reporter once asked him. Billy's face lit up and he actually got excited. Pointing to a table beside a chair in his room, see that open Bible there? That's what keeps me going. Every day I begin the day by reading from that book. I try to take to heart what I'm reading. I'm not preparing a sermon or thinking about anybody else but me. I meditate on what I have read, and when I am done, I lay the Bible there on the table, still open to the passage I have just read. Then throughout the day, as I am going about my business, I will come into this room at different times, and I will pick up that Bible and continue to read God's Word, picking up right where I left off. It doesn't matter if it is five minutes or another hour. I just read and meditate on what I'm reading. I try to read as if praying. I lay the Bible down, open it just as you see it there, and I pick it up the next time I have an opportunity to do so. What Graham was telling us is that no matter where he is, no matter what he is doing, he is always consciously thinking and meditating on God's Word and treating it as a prayer and a conversation with God. He even admitted at one point that his method was the closest thing he could think of to praying without ceasing. Regardless of what you think of his theology or even his tactics, it's pretty hard to argue against the spirit of the man and his integrity. And it's pretty clear that God used him in many magnificent ways. And he stayed true to the message. His message never changed. 
it was always the same. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's well known that Graham would say in his final days, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address, he said. I will have gone into the presence of God. So thanks be to God for Billy Graham, a man who helps us to know that God loves the world and one who, in his very presence, helped others see that God loves them as well. Amen.